be in Ezra, and we're going to be in Ezra chapter 4. You would hope that as you come to Ezra chapter 4, that we would have such a positive lesson and a positive message, because uh, chapter 3 ends on such a high note. We saw the people rise up even though they were afraid, and they laid the foundation of the temple And there was, with that work underway, there was such shouting, some of the people shouting for joy, some of the people shouting with weeping, all of them experiencing God and praising God because that that God has made it possible for this moment to have the temple begin its process uh, to be built again. You, You would hope that it would be smooth sailing. You would hope that it would... You know, just all this, you know, chapter four being they finished the temple and everything went wonderfully. But unfortunately, that's not how it's going to go for these people who have sacrificed so much and leaving uh, Babylon, Persian area and to come all the way back to Jerusalem. They're now going to encounter a lot of hardships. They're really going to see a major rise in resistance uh, that comes against them. The whole chapter of Ezra 4 is detailing all of the resistance that these people are going to face over the time frame that they're here in the land. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight is uh, the various levels of resistance that we're going to notice the four different levels increasing which each with each one. And then as we look at those four, we'll make them three applications tonight of what we can learn about how we can handle resistance and our desire to uh, do the work and serve God. You'll notice in Ezra chapter 4, and it reads there in verse 1, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, And the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you for we worship your God as you do and have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. The first picture of resistance is one that might be a little bit surprising. It is what I would call a hidden resistance. You might be surprised at how this plays out, is that here they come into the land, they get the foundation laid, and now you have some of the surrounding people coming and saying, hey, we would like to help you build this temple. We think it would be great because we worship your God just like you do, and we would like to see this completed. And you would think their answer would be, wow, that sounds great. (laughs) Why don't you come on in? The more the merrier. We need more help. We need more hands. We need more resources. Sure. Why don't you be a part of this? And yet it is that their answer to say, no, the surrounding people, you are not going to help us in this effort. You are not going to participate in us with us doing this. And I want us to consider why that is. The, the narrator here, if it be Ezra who writes this, tells us one aspect, and then their very words tell us the other reason. You'll notice in verse 1 that here the writer tells us, now when the adversaries or the enemies of Judah and Benjamin came up, so we're already being told something important. They may be saying 
that they want to help, but they don't want to help. (laughs) They're not here to really help, but they're saying all the right words. Oh, yes, we would love for this work to go on. We think it would be great if you had success and we worship the same God you do. And so let's join forces and work together and all this. But we're told here that they are ultimately enemies. So I think that is an important thing for us to consider is what these people are saying is clearly not truthful. That they are seeing through them, though they say these words. The second thing that I think is important to observe is what they say in verse 2. When they say there, let us build in verse 2 with you too. We worship your God as you do. But notice what they say. We have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, I hope that is sending off a flag and a light bulb about who these people are. Now, you might remember when we were in Kings, in 2 Kings 17, after Israel, the northern nation, was taken off the land, and you have the Assyrians put in various peoples from all other places and dropped them all in that land. And remember, as they're trying to settle the land, they're having all kinds of problems, and there's like lions eating people, and there's all kinds of issues, and they say, we need to get a priest from, from Israel to come and teach all the people about how to worship this God. And so they send a priest of Israel back there and tell them, here's how you're supposed to worship God and all of that. But here's how that all comes to an end. In, in 2 Kings 17, 33. So they feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. We, we noted that when we were in this text in 2 Kings, what a weird statement to say. They feared the Lord, but they do not fear the Lord at the very next breath. <laughs> For sentence is they fear God, but actually they don't really fear God. They kind of look the part. They seem like they care and do some of the perfunctory things toward God, but they don't do the law, the commandment, the rules, the sayings, and the teachings of God. Well, that's who these people are. These are the ones who were put there, and now they're coming up and saying, oh yeah, we worship just like you, but here's 2 Kings 17 going, no, they don't. <laughs> not, not even close. Yeah, Okay, toward that God, but they worship the, the God of heaven like they worship all the other Assyrian and, and pagan gods. And so it is an important message that's coming up here is that you are given a picture here of the wisdom of these people to say, we are not going to let you participate, even though you say all the right things and though you say you worship the same God. We know that that's not really the case. And sometimes I think that can be hard to do. Because when somebody says, oh, no, we want to worship, we, we belong with you and we want to enjoy the work and we want to continue with you. And yet to be able to realize that that's not actually true and making the hard decision to say, no, you can't join the work with us, even though you're saying all the right things. And that's what's happening here in this moment. And this is something that the Apostle Paul warned about over and over again. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he warned the Ephesian elders there about there would be wolves that would rise up in the flock. Obviously, wolves don't say, hi, everybody. I just want to be a member here, and I want you to know I'm a wolf. (laughs) They don't do that. It doesn't work like that. And so he's saying, you've got to watch out for those who are going to rise up and do that. You have the same thing in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, where the apostle Paul says to avoid those who cause division and avoid those who create obstacles. Same thing over in Philippians 3 and verse 18, where he describes those who live in a selfish way and live for their flesh as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then even over in, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 14, he says to, to take note of those who do not walk as, as I have instructed you to walk. There are all kinds of warnings where the Apostle Paul is saying, there's going to be people who have a, a hidden resistance. They look the part and say the right words, but you can't trust that. And they need to be watched out for. I I think it is interesting to see that because sometimes it's hard for us to accept that just because somebody says they want to join the work, that doesn't mean they should. And that's what's happened here is that if you can identify and go, no, that's a wolf, that's an enemy, that's someone who's creating division, that's an obstacle, that's not going to work then we have to watch out for that. And and sometimes those hard decisions have to be made. Uh, And I think it is fascinating to see here all the way back in the days of Ezra when their primary goal here is to get the temple built. And here comes people who sound like they want to help. They exercise wisdom and go, no, that's not going to be wise. You leave us to do this work and you go elsewhere The second picture of resistance then occurs in verse four, and this shows that they were right. In verse four, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Second resistance, I would call this A discouraging resistance. The very next thing you read is, well, you're not going to let us help you. Then we're going to do everything we can to discourage the people from working. We're going to make them afraid. And, And you could imagine what that discouragement would have sounded like. You can imagine the, the surrounding people going, oh, you know, you, 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 you can't do that. It's, it's, the work is too hard. It's going to be too long. You don't have the resources. You don't have the ability. You're not going to be able to finish this. You should quit while you're ahead. It's not hard to kind of conjure up. What are some of the discouraging things that people could say that would want to slow your work down? And just imagine that that is what's going on at this moment. But here's what I really want you to get a sense of as they're planting these seeds of doubt and fear in the people. You might think that, okay, well, maybe they did that for like a week. You know, they're really discouraging for a couple of weeks. They were discouraging them for a month. Verse six tells us that this happened all the days of the reign of Cyrus and even to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That means they did this to him for 16 years. 
for 16 years. They are in their ear, making them afraid, threatening them, discouraging them, telling them they can't do this. They might as well not do it, might as well give up. Discouraging, discouraging, and discouraging. And one of the things that I think we love about Barnabas in the book of Acts is that here is a man who's given a name that's not really his name. His real name was Joseph, and nobody wanted to call him that. They called him son of encouragement because we need that kind of thing. It is so easy to be discouraging, to have a discouraging resistance and think of all the reasons why this is not going to work, why we can't do this. We won't succeed. We shouldn't push forward. And that's what's going on with these people for 16 years. You have people coming to them and saying, you can't build this temple. This is not going to work. You might as well stop. No, no, no. Here's all the reasons why you shouldn't. And so it is revealed to us that that's another way that you experience resistance in trying to do the work. You're going to have people who claim to be helpers but are not. And you're going to have people who are just going to be outright discouraging to you and trying to get you to quit. Now, something really interesting happens here. You will expect that the rest of the chapter would continue to describe what's going on right here at around 536 BC as the people are trying to build the temple. But a curious thing happens in verse 6, you will notice it says, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, that's Xerxes, we have now fast forwarded about 50 years. That's when Esther's written is Ahasuerus. We have now left this time marker and we are shooting way ahead, 50 years into the future. And it says there in verse 6 there that in the beginning of his reign, now they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So now we are bringing in a government resistance. We're going to get the king involved and we're going to get King Xerxes and he's going to be against you and he's going to stop the work. And so it starts pointing in 50 years, here's what's going to happen. And then you'll notice in verse 7, he jumps 20 more years forward to the reign of Artaxerxes. Verse 7 says, in the days of Artaxerxes, here are these people, I won't say their names, they're the terrible people, who wrote a letter to the Artaxerxes king of Persia. And in this letter, they say all kinds of things about why these people should not be building a temple. Some of them, namely, like in chapter 4, verse 13, it says, you know if they build this temple and they they can live on this land and they build their city and they build their walls, uh, they're not going to pay taxes and they're not going to pay tribute and they're not going to pay their toll. They're not going to pay any of those things to you. And we, as these good citizens of the land, would hate for you to lose money by, you know, having them continue to build and do the work. And the same thing happens in verse 15 when then he says, and by the way, if you just go check the history books, you'll find that Jerusalem is a rebellious city. Which, by the way, you kind of go, yeah, it is actually. (laughs) They did rebel against many of their, their foreign oppressors over and over again. And so they use this against them and say, okay, here's why the government needs to step in and threaten the people and tell them you shouldn't work because here's what they're all the reasons why they're going to resist you. They're going to be a problem. They're not going to pay their taxes. They're going to be an issue to you if you let them continue to do the work. And so you need to make them stop. And notice in verse 21, we're told 
Here's what the king ordered. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me and take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to hurt to the hurt of the king? And so they pass a law and the law is don't build the city. Stop the work. Actually, they bring the Persian Empire in and get the king himself to write a decree that says you need to stop doing the work. And if that was not enough, we have seen hidden resistance and discouraging resistance and now government resistance. Let's just go all the way to the end because you'll notice in verse 23, it says, So when the copy of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them stop. So the people who wrote the letter go, hey, we've got the letter. And they don't go up to the people and go, okay, guys, you know what? We've, we've, we've got this letter right here. And this letter from the king says you guys have to stop. No, it says by force they stopped it. The net translation reads they stopped them with the threat of an armed force. The New American Standard reads stop them by military force. This was not just kindly, hey, everybody just wants you to know the king says no. It's you're going to stop forcibly. We're going to do something about it. And we're putting an end to this work right now. It ramps all the way up to that. And notice in verse 24, verse 24 now comes and rewinds back to where we were. So now we're going back 70 years, back to 536 BC. Verse 24, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. 16 years are going to go by. And nobody's going to touch or do anything in regards to the temple of God. 16 years is going to go by. So I said there were four pictures of resistance given in this, in this chapter. Three applications that I want to make from this. The first application that I want us to think about as we just kind of consider the literary aspect of the chapter is why does this book decide to tell you not only about the hidden resistance of these enemies that are not not for them, even though they claim to be for them, and oh, we're going to help you, but they're really not. And then shift to talking about the discouragement that they put on the people and trying to make them afraid, and then decide to go forward in time, five decades, and go, let me tell you about what's going to happen even later on, about how the government of Persia is going to get involved, and then forward even more 20 more years and how the government person is going to get involved even all the more with Artaxerxes and then the forceful resistance people are going to come in and by force make them stop why does this chapter want to spend decades covering the resistance that is going to happen to these people over these next generations I think it's our first application and first message of the book and the message is simply this There's always going to be opposition to the work. There will be opposition to doing the work of God in every single generation. 
And the reason why that's important is because there's a temptation that comes to us. And the temptation is this. It will be easier if we just wait. Let's just wait and do the work. Right now it's hard. We've got all of this resistance. We've got all of this discouragement, all of this promise. Pick whichever one you want. We've got all these wolves and sheep clothing, or we've got the government, or we've got forceful resistance. We've got all of these things happening. Why don't we just wait for a better time? And here's God's answer. It's never going to be better. Because this seems to be what they're going to do here. 16 years, the work is going to stop. Why tell us about how it's going to go in decades later? It's not going to get any easier. Five decades later is not going to be any better for him. And neither are seven decades later going to be any better for him. And so often we can default into that kind of thinking. Is oh, when the resistant rise, resistance rises, we need to kind of step back. Let's wait for a better time. Let's wait till it's smoother. Let's wait till it's easier. And maybe when things calm down, we'll get back to work and we'll do those things. And I believe God's message here is no, don't do that. And I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind is that God wants us to continue to do the work. In fact, so much so. Chapter five, verse one is going to say, now Haggai and Zechariah walk on the scene. God's going to say, "Um, guys, what are you doing? (laughs) Just because there's resistance doesn't mean you're supposed to stop. There's going to be resistance in every generation. It's always going to be hard. There will always be those who oppose you. There will always be hidden resistance. There will always be discouraging resistance. There will always be a forceful resistance. There will always be government resistance. It will always be there. So don't stop doing the work. You might remember Jesus said this. We're not used to this in our culture, but we probably need to get reaccustomed to these words. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, if the world hates you, you know, that's a really weird. No, if the world hates you, just want you to know this. It hated me before it hated you. You notice Jesus doesn't say, well, just wait till an easier time because it's really strange that the world would hate you. I'm so surprised that that happened. And so just wait till things calm down. He goes, hey, guess what? If the world hates you, No surprise. Don't be surprised. It hated me first. It's almost like Jesus said, how do you think I got here? (laughs) But of course they're resisting me. And if they're resisting me, they're certainly going to resist the followers of me. And so it's an important message for us to keep in mind is that there will always be opposition to the work. And so number one, we cannot allow opposition to keep us from doing that work. Number two, one of the things that I also think is important to observe is that opposition and resistance does not mean that God has abandoned us. Now, I want you to think about the setup of where we are in the book, because in Ezra chapter one, we saw that God stirred the heart of Cyrus to make the decree to say, go and rebuild my temple in Jerusalem and let all the people go and do whoever wants to according to their heart. And not only that, remember, we're told in chapter one, God stirred the heart of the people to want to go back and go and do the work. 
So we can't now look at the resistance and go, well, this means that God didn't want them to do the work. No, God wanted them to do the work. That's why they're there. That's why the decree was made. That's why God used Cyrus. That's why the prophecy was made that Cyrus would do this. And this is why the people are there. And so it is important that we remember that God wanted this work to be done. And that resistance does not mean that God has abandoned us. Or to put it another way, resistance should not be interpreted as a reason to stop. Resistance should not be interpreted as God has left us and we need to just stop doing the work. That is not at all what God wanted. And that's even made clearer because, as I mentioned, Haggai and Zechariah are about to appear and their basic message is get to work. What are you doing? Why have you stopped? You should keep going. God had not abandoned his people in the slightest. And the resistance was not supposed to be an interpretation to them that they need to stop. Rather, resistance is a test of faith. Why is there resistance in every generation? And why does God allow this resistance? God wants the, the temple completed. So why is there resistance? Because resistance is always a test of faith. I believe in every generation, there are going to be times where we are going to experience this hidden resistance, discouraging resistance, government resistance, and forceful resistance. And it is during those times that our faith is tested to see what are we going to do about it. And I think it's just an important reminder about being prepared for resistance and being prepared to work through any resistance that comes against us, any difficulty, any uprising, anything that tells us that we should not be doing the work of God. It's interesting to come around here now to 2022. (laughs) It's almost February 2022 now at this point. It's unbelievable to, to think about. We're approaching two whole years of this COVID change that has happened among us. Two years ago, there was our outbreak of COVID. And I remember so plainly listening to the uh, county health official holding a press conference in Palm Beach County and saying explicitly and directly that all synagogues and all churches need to close and nobody should go to those again. I remember like fear running through me like, Whoa, I never thought I would have hurt here in my lifetime. A government agency say, you can't be open. You cannot continue to do the work you need to stop. And it was a time we didn't know very much about COVID. It was a time when we didn't know very much about what the state's going to do and the county's going to do and the authorities are going to do. We didn't know much of anything at that time. And we didn't stop. And then I remember reading about a church in Tampa that stayed open and law enforcement went in there in Tampa and arrested the preacher and took him off to prison for them being open during that time. You might remember to some of you, I said, so save up your bail money for me because I'm going to be here and I might need you to bail me out because we're not going to stop even though they try to stop us. 
It is so important that we see that God allows resistance and opposition as a test of our faith, just as God did in the wilderness to Israel, giving them difficulties and hardships they didn't eat for a month and testing them. Are you going to still be faithful or not? Will we continue to be faithful or will we say, you know, it's just not a good time? When resistance arises, what will we do? We cannot give up. We cannot stop doing the work. We cannot quit. We cannot wait for a more convenient time. We have a job to do, and we have a task that's been given to us, and we cannot stop. And that is the mentality that I think God was communicating by trying to show, look at the decades and decades and decades of resistance. What would happen if they just said, well, you know, there's resistance. I guess we'll stop then nothing would have ever happened. It's why God is going to have to come in and do something about it. And that leads to my third point then. And my third point is simply asking this, then how do we deal with resistance and discouragement? Because I think that's the hard part. When resistance arises, your heart sinks and it becomes hard. Whether it be the hidden resistance where people who you thought were sheep and with you, and then they turn against you and turn out to be enemies. Or whether it's the discouragement of those who are telling you, you shouldn't be a Christian, you shouldn't be following God, you're wasting your time, what are you doing? Uh, This is nonsense if you have that kind of thing happening. Or even if it rises up again to levels of government resistance, or even we pray not forceful resistance, where like we saw in this text, they go in and forcibly stop them from doing the work. How do you handle that? How do you not be discouraged? And how do you go forward in the face of that kind of resistance? I think the answer here is a simple one and yet a really important one. That what we have to do in that time is not lose sight of the goal and to continue to exercise faith in the Lord. I believe that the goal of these people was that they were to come back and build the temple of God as God commanded them because he was restoring his relationship with his people. But the people lost sight of that. And so when the resistance began, they all stepped back. And I look forward to you, Lord willing, in the next few weeks we're going to do Haggai because that happens right here at this moment. You're going to listen to what Haggai is saying about what needs to be done in this. And it's a really interesting thought that it's easy to lose sight of why we're here and what our goal is. And we can pull back. And that's what they do here as 16 years now go by with a temple foundation laid. But they lose sight of why they're in Jerusalem in the first place. How did they even get to Jerusalem at all? Except God wanted them to do this very work. And 16 years go by. That is an astounding number to me. It's an astounding number to think about. 16 years. That is a tremendous amount of time in which the work completely stops. And we cannot lose sight of the goal even when we're discouraged and even when there is resistance. I will tell you, I have been discouraged so 
so many times. <laughs> you, know, you think I stand up here so there's like the, the big S on my chest for the preacher, and it's just, it's just not true. So many times I've wanted to give up. So many times I've wanted to give up the work completely. So many times I've wanted to even give up the work here. I've wanted to just not bother anymore. I'm discouraged. I can't do this. It's overwhelming. It's just too much. So much work to do. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. And just there's discouragement. And there's only one reason I have never stopped. There's only one reason I've never stopped. And it's one of the the same reason that Andy Cantrell has. And I've shared with you, we have like this common bond of we've all wanted to quit over and over and over again. And the one reason is this, and I share it with you because I want it to be the same reason that you never quit. Is that this is the work that God has given us to do. It's why we're here. The work is to give our life to the Lord, to sacrifice for him to serve others, to reach the lost, and pour out your life and your soul on the altar. When we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, and there's not a secondary calling. There's not a plan B. There's not a, okay, I'll go do this, and it'll all still be okay. What else are you going to do? The call is to give your life, to pour out your life, to serve God, to reach others, to love one another, and to do the work that God's given to each of us to do. There's not something else to do. So Andy and I talked to each other like, well, yeah, I'd quit, but then I'd still have to keep doing the same thing. Do I have, would be quitting mean I get to stop teaching the lost? No, that's still my responsibility. Stop going to church. No, that's my responsibility. Encouraging believers. Well, that's still my responsibility. What would change? Because this is the work. Take up your cross and follow me. And so remembering the goal is what encourages faith. Remembering the goal is what pushes you through discouragement. To remember why you're here and to remember the work that's at hand and to not allow discouragement or fear or any other resistance to cause you to step back and think, well, maybe I won't do it right now. But to step into those moments all of the more, step into the discouragement, step into the fear, step into that resistance and know this all the more means I need to keep doing the work that God has given me to do. And thankfully, one day, we will be with the Lord for eternity and we'll be in paradise where tears will be wiped away and we will have a perfect comforter who knows what we've gone through and will give us the comfort that we need for all eternity. Hold on to your faith. Don't be overwhelmed with discouragement. Don't give up, but do the work that God's called you to do. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it can feel like there are so many reasons to be discouraged, reasons to be afraid, reasons to want to stop doing the work, reasons to step back. Lord, I pray that you would encourage all of our hearts tonight. And encourage us by helping us remember why we're here. Remember our purpose. Remind us of what we are supposed to do. And ultimately, Lord, help us to remember in our times of, of hurt and discouragement what we're looking forward to. Lord, we thank you for the prize of eternity. 
We thank you for the great reward that lies ahead. We thank you that we can take comfort in knowing that you see all things and, and you know our hurts and you know our labors and you, and you know our disappointments and you know our discouragements. You know everything that we feel and go through. And so, Lord, help us to continue to go forward. Give us the strength to not shrink back. Give us the strength to fight through discouragement. And Lord, strengthen our faith to handle any resistance that may be ahead of us. Give us the strength that we need that if people around us resist us, that our neighbors or our culture or our friends or co-workers, that we will be strong in the faith. Give us the encouragement and strength of faith that whether our government stands against us, we will not quit, we will not lose heart, we will continue on. And Lord, give us the strength that even if the resistance is forceful, that we will do that willingly, just as we see not only in your son, but also in your apostles and disciples who all were willing to go to the death for your sake. Give us that strength, give us that faith, and push us on to the goal that lies ahead. Lord, thank you for reminding us that there will always be resistance. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that you are always with us, no matter the resistance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song for you this evening that if you are ready to turn back to God and to give him your life, your heart, everything that God is calling for you to give a life to him, it's worth it. And he calls you to it. Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?